For today's episode, we're interviewing Norman Steiberg, and I will refer to Norm uh, to Norman as Norm as I commonly do. Uh, I've known Norm for several years, been very fortunate uh, to work with Norm, and uh, was when as we started thinking who should be the the first episode, um, I thought who better than Norm, and here we are. Norm, thank you for joining us today, uh, and uh, welcome, and thank you for keeping up with all the technology uh, glitches that come up when you're trying to record podcasts. Oh, well, Gary, I'm delighted to do this. I'm delighted to be the guinea pig, to be the first one. And so, Norm, I will start with a, a couple questions. There's, as the audience uh, sees uh, the, the LinkedIn post saying uh, the interview with Norm Steinberg, there's going to be a lot of people saying, we hear about Norm, we'd love to learn about his stories. Tell us a bit about yourself, sort of where you grew up, the family, and how you ended up in law in the, in the first place. Well, you know, thanks for that. So um, I grew up in Montreal. Uh, my father was in the textile business, uh, also known in Jewish as the Shmata business. And he always told me almost every day, don't go into that business, uh, have, a, have a career in a profession. Um, I was always interested in business, and I was, uh, you know, definitely a nerd because in grade six, I used to uh, read uh, business magazines like Fortune religiously, and um, I knew I wanted to do something in business. Uh, when I went to McGill University for my undergrad, I was, um, you know, in a science program, but then I realized I didn't want to have a career in science, and I started to get interested in either law or medicine. And I ended up gravitating towards law because I felt it was very business oriented. So I went to law school after I took a leap year, which uh, I still recommend to everyone. I took a year off and traveled and um, enjoyed law school from the beginning. What I liked about law school was uh, the business orientation of you know, a lot of the courses. Uh, while I was in law school, I had a very interesting summer job uh, which almost uh, meant the defeat of my career in law. I was a tour director for a U.S. company called Talk Tours. And in the summer, uh, I would lead uh, 40 people through bus and planes and so forth in different parts of the United States, in particular Western United States. And I was doing this every summer until one of my classmates, uh, Louis Renault, whose father was the senior partner of Ogilvy Renault in Montreal, said, you know, if you don't start working in a law firm, you won't get a job when you graduate. So I thought, oh, my God, I have to give up the life of Riley, traveling on the road, getting comped by all the hotels, uh, free tickets in Vegas and all that stuff. And I have to go work in a library. It wasn't very enticing, but that's what I did. And I got a job at Ogilvy Renault, which at that time was uh, one of the most important law firms uh, in Canada, if not, as they used to say, the Commonwealth. So um, I worked there as a student, and then I was offered a job uh, as, uh, as, a, as a first year lawyer. And I asked specifically that I could go into the corporate department. And in the corporate department, uh, I was um, doing the love of my life. I was doing prospectuses and financings and uh, mergers and acquisitions. And that was really the beginning of my career in law. So should I stop there? Well, the, the, the more the merrier. I think that a lot of the people uh, out there are, are want to know more about Norm. And this is a great way to learn more about Norm and Norm's story. But I will ask you a few additional questions and we'll tease, tease this out further. Yeah. So you got into law. I've met so many people that know you in business because you were a great lawyer and, and 
even people that uh, were on the other sitting on the other side uh, had a lot of respect for you saying on the next deal I want to hire Norm because he's great at what he does so uh, I'm glad that the the despite enjoying the tour life you decided to go into law because it's worked well for a lot of people in business uh, now, Norm, what drives you clearly from being chairman of Norm Rose Canada, chair, Norm Rose Globally, um, and now vice chair at BFL, even at Alexa Translations? W- what drives you? What drives Norm Steinberg? Um, well, as my wife would say, I have an obsessive personality. Um, anything that I've ever done, I wanted to excel at. That's other than sports, where I was never very good. But uh, whenever I, you know, pick up uh, a, a, you know, a responsibility, I, I want to do the best at it. I wanted to be the best tour director. I wanted to be the best student at the Ogilvy Renault and so forth. So, you know, in my career, uh, one of the things uh, that I gravitated to immediately was client relationships. And I think that's a very important part of what any of us do. It doesn't matter what our businesses are. You know, the relationships with our stakeholders are incredibly important. I loved networking from early days on. Um, I always thought it was my responsibility every day to meet uh, either our clients or prospective clients, but that included our competitors as well. I felt that our competitors, and again, whatever the businesses, have a very important role in saying good things about us and also referring business to us when they had conflicts. So I created a network. And part of creating the network, I found, was also social responsibility, getting involved in charitable um, organizations. In this case, for me, it was in Montreal. Now, two reasons uh, to do that. One is we ought to give back to society. Um, I was third-generation Canadian, but I always heard the stories of my uh, poor grandparents uh, escaping from Russia and Ukraine to get to Canada uh, and basically start a new life. And Canada is a great country for that, but I feel collectively we have a responsibility to give back. Now, the collateral benefit I found of getting involved in uh, these kinds of organizations is you create a new network. So if I was sitting uh, uh, you know, on the board of the Montreal Symphony, I might meet people that I never met before. And I found in business um, over the years, many people I met through the charitable work I was doing, you know, called me up because uh, they got to know me and they said, uh, you know, I think you're an M&A lawyer. Can you do a takeover bid for us? So that that drove me. I also was, um, you know, quite interested in business development at an early stage. And when I started in law, it was like the dark ages. Law firms didn't advertise. They had no brochures. They had no business development people. They had no marketing people. Um, I actually pushed the envelope on that, and uh, we had the first uh, brochure of a law firm in Canada. We had the first student's brochure of a law firm in Canada, you know, and so on. And, you know, over the years, what I saw was the development of, you know, marketing professionals in professional firms. And quite frankly, the accounting firms showed us how to do it. So law firms were always, you know, lagging behind. So let me pause there, Gary. Well, Norm, I must tell you, I've been involved with the Legal Marketing Association for for many years, and they would love to hear what you just said, that uh, it was like the dark ages at the law firms. They didn't have marketing and business development people because, you know, they say... The, the, it's important that lawyers know this. They're like, we know the, the value that our groups add, but it's important that the lawyers get it. So very, very, very interesting points. Norm, on that note, just because you talked a little bit about networking and how you 
you grew your network and, and the practice as a result. For young lawyers out there that may be listening uh, to this, what advice would you have for them uh, as, as somebody that was very successful in the legal industry? Well, you know, and I, and I you know, used to do this, um, you know, in my law firm, you know, mentoring and so forth and, you know, speaking on this very subject. In fact, uh, I just um, mentioned it to a group of people uh, that I met at Teneo last week because I'm a special advisor to Teneo. My advice, again, it is not restricted to law. Whatever your business, whatever your profession um, is, it's very important right off the bat to, to network because networking allows you to expand the horizons that you're in. Um, it allows you to, um, you know, not just get more business referrals, but it allows you to have a better sense about what you're doing. And I think it's very important for young people immediately to start networking. And that includes uh, taking out for lunch the clients that they are working with. If they're in a law firm, you know, you're going to start receiving clients from your senior partners. Um, make sure that you have a personal relationship with the people that you're working with. And from a corporate coverage point of view, I learned this lesson from the investment banks that I thought always did a very good job of it. They would cover everybody. Let's say it's, uh, you know, Corporation XYZ. They would cover everybody in that organization. So the senior person would cover the president of the, let's say it was the Royal Bank, all the way down to the entry level person. Now that way you're providing for a natural succession path as well, because that means over the years, you as the entry person are getting to know somebody who's the entry person in your client. And maybe that person becomes the president of the bank or the corporation one day, very important. And I would add to that, Get involved in the community. We're expected to do so. Everybody knows the importance of uh, ESG. It's not just tick the box. It's a requirement in every organization to give back to the communities. And as I already said, while you do that, you create another network, which again is uh, useful as well for your career. So that would be my advice to people starting out. Thank you, Norm. I think that's invaluable advice and certainly advice that would be hard to take working from home. So uh, I, I think a lot of your suggestions tie into uh, the, the young people at law firms or otherwise, even uh, in business development elsewhere, to, to go and uh, get involved in person. It's far easier to develop relationships in person than otherwise. Yeah, well, you know, on that note, you know, networking involves as well, uh, you know, going out to cocktail parties and going out to dinners and meeting people in different circumstances as well. It's sort of the natural thing to do. And I think the problem with COVID is a lot of people have become complacent and uh, don't realize the importance of not only returning to the office, but also, you know, socializing with uh, clients and peers and competitors and so forth. So it's important that people realize that for you to have a valuable and rewarding career, you know, you got to get back into the trenches. And the, the trenches is where where battles are won. So the, the uh, Norm, on, on uh, um, switching gears a little bit and, and uh, focusing on your career, Norm Rose. So you saw the evolution from Ogilvy Renault to Norm Rose and expansion, uh, the, the expansion initially to Toronto and then the global footprint. Take us a bit through that journey. What were there some of the learnings through it uh, that, that uh, you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, sure. It's actually my favorite subject because I advised our clients on M&A 
and uh, it's like the shoemaker without shoes for his family, it's important for us as a law firm as well to follow some of the advice we give our clients. So uh, Ogilvy Renault was founded about 150 years ago in Montreal, and uh, the first offices were in smaller locations, uh, Ottawa, Quebec City, and then in 96, uh, we opened in Toronto. And I remember I got some very helpful advice from some of my competitors in Toronto. They said, basically, we're going to fail. That was the advice we received. We actually uh, succeeded and did very well. Uh, but at one point, we realized that uh, to uh, succeed in the new economy, we really had to have greater scale. We had a lot of international clients. And um, what we were doing for them was basically introducing them to people in London or New York or Singapore, Kuwait, etc., as opposed to that being in our network. We also realized that, again, learning from the accountants, which were ahead of us by 10 years, that we needed greater scale. So about 15 years ago, when we looked at our strategy, we realized we're one of the top 10 firms in Canada. That's the good news. The bad news is we're one of the top 10 firms in Canada. It was getting more difficult to differentiate ourselves from the others. Uh, we didn't have the ability to, um, to uh, use our network. At one point, uh, we did have an arrangement with Osler Hoskin where we had a few offices. They were rep offices. They were really referral sites. They didn't um, offer you know, the scale that what was required to do local work. So we realized we needed to have a greater network. We needed to have greater resources to invest in business development, marketing, um, IT you know, in particular. And you can't do it if you're only a Canadian law firm. You need greater scale. So we entered into discussions um, first with the U.S. firm uh, and uh, then recognized that their idea of a merger was they take us over and we work for them. So we walked away from it and we were then approached by Norton Rose from London, which was a firm at that point that had about 1,500 lawyers and uh, I think about um, 20 offices around the world, had a history of being in Asia and in the Middle East and in parts of Europe. And they as well realized that they needed greater scale. They wanted to have a global network. So we uh, were very happy to enter into the merger arrangements with them. While we were in discussions, they had merged with a major law firm in Australia. We then did a merger three ways, Norton Rose ourselves in South Africa. And by the way, I always advise clients, don't ever do a three-way merger. It becomes too complicated, but somehow we managed to get that right. And as a result, we then realized that the next step of Norton Rose merged was, of course, to enter into the U.S. market because the U.S. market is still by far the most important market in the world. So we um, looked at about 100 different law firms in the U.S. and uh, we decided that maybe the best fit for us for a number of reasons was uh, Fulbright Jaworski uh, based in, um, in Houston. Uh, and, uh, you know, very much uh, uh, an institutional firm in the American Southwest. So I went to my partner, Brian Mulroney, who knows everything about everything. And I said, what do you know about Fulbright Jaworski? And he looked at me like I was nuts. He says, well, Norm, that's the law firm that we used when I was uh, a prime minister of Canada to represent us in the uh, FTA and then the NAFTA negotiations. Yes, they're a great firm. What else do you want to know? So long story short, we uh, merged with, with Fulbright Jaworski. At that time, I was the global chair of Norton Rose, so I was part of the uh, you know, leadership team that did it. 
And from there, we merged with other law firms around the world. Um, but one of the things we learned as well is culture is an incredibly important part of this. Everybody talks about it. Uh, whatever your mergers are, whatever your businesses are, if the culture doesn't fit, you have a problem. So when we announced the merger um, with uh, Norton Rose, we then received a phone call from McLeod Dixon in Calgary because we had some discussions with them about merging, but they called us and said, okay, you know, you guys have figured it out. Um, you know, we want to be more global as well. They were one of the most respected energy firms in Canada. And, um, you know, let's talk about, you know, merging. And we merged literally within a few months. The reason I mention it is because we both recognize that the cultures of Calgary and Toronto, Montreal, you know, we're all different, uh, not to mention the cultures of around the world. So we learned some very interesting lessons about how to do mergers better and anticipate some of the cultural issues. So as we continue to do mergers, uh, both in Vancouver and around the world, uh, we put more of an emphasis on getting the cultural issues, you know, right, uh, you know, as, as, a, as an entry point. Uh, so, you know, there, those are some of the lessons learned. Uh, what we also learned was the importance of, um, of the lawyers, of the staff, the team from around the world to get to know each other. Because if you want to operate as a global firm, everybody's got to feel they're part of the platform. So maybe I'll stop there and pause. No, it's, it's fascinating, Norman. And I knew some of the, some of the story uh, superficially from, from, uh, from, uh, seeing this happen in the marketplace, but certainly the, the inner workings are, are extremely interesting on, on how it played out. Now, being in a leadership positions, there must have been situations that were very challenging, not just this, but in your leadership positions throughout your career. What are some of the most challenging situations in leadership that you encountered uh, and, and the learnings from them? Well, the, the, whether it's one, whether it's multiple, I'd love to hear because you know as you can appreciate leaders are always in a position where they deal with challenging situations and often it's and they're inevitable you're bound to as a leader run into challenging situations so the key is what you do with them and how you handle them yeah so well that's right love so, to hear from Norm. yeah so you know the governance of a law firm is different than the governance of a corporation i prefer the corporate model uh where the ceo decides usually on a consensus uh, you know what the path of is going to be you know, in a law firm, it's a partnership, so there's more consensus building. I found it frustrating sometimes to find our partners thought they were so smart on strategy, yet they knew nothing about strategy, and they would second-guess strategy. Uh, but you can't just ignore them, so you would have to co-opt them. And as we did the mergers, we needed, you know, the cooperation of everyone. So, you know, dealing with the uh, type of structure you have, in, you know, in any professional firm, you know, it's very important to make sure that you have people on side and you're all rowing in the same direction. Um, you know, then there's the turf issues. Uh, you know, you end up having conflicts between uh, different partners over different clients and stuff. You know, one partner may want to represent uh, Shell and the other one wants to represent Chevron, but they're both going to be litigating with each other. So you can only represent one. There's a, a, a lot of time that's spent in a professional firm dealing with conflicts, which, of course, multiply as you become bigger and go global. So one of the interesting things about our platform and Norton Rose Fulbright was how quickly and effectively we were able to deal with these conflict situations. Because when you open a file, you have to do a conflict check. 
So, you know, and then there's uh, very often a question of uh, dealing with partners to understand there may be a winner and loser. The platform's the winner, but a personal partner may be the, you know, the individual, you know, loser on it. Um, I thought also it was very important to be uh, transparent about the information going on. And I remember when I was a global chair, when I first started visiting some of the offices, the local managing partner would say, okay, well, we'll have like three or four meetings. One will be with the non-lawyers, then it'll be with the associate lawyers, then it will be the partners. And I would say, no, uh, I'd like to meet everyone all at once because I'm not going to have a different message for any of them. I think it's important for all of us to understand, you know, where we are, what are the issues that we're dealing with as a firm, what are the challenges, uh, you know, particularly uh, how it relates to the local market. I've always believed in full transparency. And uh, on an individual basis, when I was always working with great EAs that I had, they knew everything. And uh, some of my partners were appalled that they knew some of the stuff that we were doing that was supposedly confidential. But I felt to have an effective relationship uh, and, and leverage the intelligence of our EA, they ought to know what's going on. So I was uh, dug in my feet on that one. My EAs always know everything that I know. And I always found it was a very effective way to, to work with them. So, you know, those are, those are some of the issues. But, um, you know, basically it's a people business. But again, in the model of a professional firm, um, you know, you don't have quite the authority structure that you do in a corporation. Uh, no, and that makes a lot of sense, Norm. Certainly anyone that has been in the, whether it's law firms, accounting firms, engineering firms, any professional services firms in that context understands the pain points of, of, of the model. Uh, Norm, so one thing I want to ask you is uh, every business leader that I've spoken to that has worked with you had a lot of respect for you as a lawyer, as an advisor. What made you successful? How did you add value to clients um, in a way that they all have such tremendous respect for you? Well, well, thanks for that point. Um, you know, again, I believe in the model of a trusted advisor. Um, so there's several points to respond to your question. You know, the first is that I used to tell our lawyers, you know, our, our lawyers at Ogilvy, Renault, and Norton Rose, they all thought they were the smartest, the best, and everything. And I basically said, no, you're not. Uh, there's just as smart lawyers across the street here and across the street in London and so forth. Uh, what differentiates us from our competitors is we have to be the trusted advisors. We have to bring added value to the relationship, and that's what will distinguish us from our competitors. That's what allows us to retain client relationships. That's what allows us to steal clients from other firms because we bring added value. Now, added value is many different things. Um, I used to start my day, and I still do, by checking all the news. Uh, I have uh, Google Alert on for the clients I'm, I was responsible for You know, at the law firm. And today, wearing various board hats, I have Google Alerts on. So I know what's going on right away. And if I was a lawyer and I would say, you know, I was the partner responsible for Domtar, I would see, you know, flash, uh, something's just happened to Domtar, good, bad, or ugly, then I would immediately email the CEO or the general counsel or the CFO or all of them, stay connected with them and be one step ahead. Um, and I found it was also very useful in terms of, uh, you know, getting together with clients that I had a broad understanding of their business. So that's the second point that everybody's taught now. You have to have a broad understanding of your client to properly serve them. The third point was I always felt it was incredibly important 
to give the advice that I thought was the right advice, whether the clients wanted to hear it or not. And um, I would sometimes go into a boardroom and uh, get, you know, give my advice on an issue. Now, I observed some other lawyers. I remember being involved in a restructuring where we were board counsel and the company counsel came in and it was, well, it could be this, could be that. And, you know, as opposed to giving, you know, a direct opinion. So I listened to all that. And then they turned to me uh, as the board counsel and they said, you know, what do you think? And I said, well, look, if I were sitting in your shoes, here's what I would do. Unequivocally, here's what I would do. That's the course of action. And this is what boards, this is what clients wanted to hear. They want direct advice, not a little bit lawyerly. Well, it could be this, could be that. Because a lot of lawyers think that um, they're going to get sued if they give advice that somehow turns out to be wrong. I never worried about that. And by the way, nobody ever sued me. What clients want, and they expect it from their investment banks as well, is direct advice. Now, they may not agree with it all the time, but that's our job is to give them the advice that we believe. And I think I developed a reputation as being a straight shooter and that um, I also employed the best of the best. So I never thought I was necessarily the best M&A lawyer or the best securities lawyer. But when I went to, into, in, into a boardroom, I had basically been prepped by our team. Um, you know, if we were involved in a deal, I would have uh, you know, a meeting every day at the end of the day with our whole team to go through with all the issues. I'd synthesize it and make sure that I understood you know, what the issues would be. And in meeting with clients, whether it was the management team you know, and or the board, I felt that it was my job to synthesize it, give them the advice, and they could follow it or not follow it. But uh, I wasn't going to be worried about whether the advice was possibly wrong and some, somebody in the future was going to criticize us. That never happened. So that would be you know, my advice. And uh, that's why I loved what I did, because uh, I found uh, very great reception from the management and boards when I gave them straight advice. Norm, I cannot tell you how incredibly valuable that is to in-house counsel and all the conversations I've had with in-house counsel. One of the things they say is, you know, when, when we ask for advice from our lawyers and they give us, here's 10 options, like that doesn't make my life easier. Then it's decision fatigue. Then we have to deal with narrowing it down versus if, if uh, the, my external counsel said, here's two options and here's what I recommend from these two options. They've done the pre-selection for me and are coming with a recommendation by understanding our business and making our life easier. So really important takeaway, and, and I think yeah. it will really resonate with our audience. If I could add one point to that, you've raised please, a very interesting please. point. So general counsels, I mean, basically our client for most organizations was the general counsel. That was our client who hired and fired us. And I find very often we're dealing with great general counsels across the country, across the world. Sometimes they would need our support. Like they, they would have a very strong opinion about something, and but the president and the CFO or maybe the board would say, are you sure about that? And so part of my job was if I agreed with it, which usually I did, was to come in and say, by the way, uh, if I can take Simon Fisher's example, si Simon said this, I absolutely totally agree for these 10 reasons. And often that was all that they needed to hear, but it's kind of like in a family where your parents don't actually listen to you, but if somebody outside the family says the same thing, it sort of resonates with you know greater value. So I think that's a very important part of the relationship of outside counsel. Thank you, Norm. Uh, it'll definitely resonate. Um, switching gears a little bit now, conversely, being in the position you were in as an advisor to a lot of companies, 
you dealt with a lot of executives, board members. Uh, what advice would you have for company executives, board members? When you, what were some of the greatest leaders you met, and what their what their attributes were, so that if somebody's in a leadership position somewhere, whether public company, private, they're saying, "Here's what we need to emulate to, to really reflect uh, a lot of what Norm has seen in in his uh, business experience." Well, you know, that's uh, th there's so many aspects to it. You know, when I sit on boards and I and I and I look at uh, you know people that I respect. Um, what I respect is, number one, is they have a full command of the business that they are the CEO of. They, they, they really know what's going on. And it's difficult sometimes because a lot of organizations, their companies are multinational, there's so many business things. But um, if I just take the CEO, the CEO really understands the business and the CFO really understands the financials and so forth. And consensus building is important as well. But at the end of the day, and consensus building, um, I think, is important, it's not just you know with the management team, but also with the board. But at the end of the day, the CEO, as the leader, needs to make a decision. And very often, after trying to create a consensus, it's important for the leader to move forward with a strategy. And I think great leaders have the ability to be decisive and make decisions. We're in a very fast-paced world. And decision making, uh, you know, very often needs to be accelerated. And a great leader has the ability to work with the timelines required for the particular circumstances. I think a great leader today has many responsibilities. I mentioned ESG earlier on in this uh, in this chat. Uh, ESG is incredibly important. Um, you know, one of the uh, you know, one of the CEOs uh, that I that I highly respect, for example, is Nancy Southern, the CEO of ATCO, and uh, she's developed a relationship over decades, over at least 20 years, with all the Aboriginal uh, groups, uh, in, you know, particularly in Western Canada and in Australia as well, where the company does business. And it's not just to tick off the box from a commercial point of view, when ATCO builds projects, they know how to deal with the Aboriginal communities in, in, in a way of mutual respect and mutual commercialization as well. So I use that as an example because there's other spokes to the wheel of ESG. That's part of a, of a CEO's job these days is to ensure that uh, you know these aspects are being followed. And that includes, of course, diversity and inclusion, which is very important to me and has always been very important. Um, and I think it's important for CEOs and management generally as well to network, to, um, you know, not sit in their office, but uh, to, you know, to get out there and meet with the communities, get involved. Uh, again, here we go, get involved in, uh, in, in you know, not-for-profit uh, organizations and so forth. I mean, that's part of the remit. And Norm, very, very invaluable pieces there. Again, um, I knew, I knew there would be some gems uh, to share with uh, business executives, and I think the, the listeners to this podcast are going to be from a broad range of uh, areas of life. Uh, Norm, I'm switching gears a, a bit back to you at a, at a personal level. So, having moved on from legal practice uh, in the traditional sense, because you never really fully move on. Uh, to some of the, your current involvement from BFL to ATCO to Women in Governance, including Alexa. Uh, what what does a day in uh, Norm's life look like now? Well, I love it. It's, uh, you know, I loved my life for uh, four decades in law. Uh, but, um, you know, three years ago, I moved on. 
you know, typical day is, uh, and this is, of course, uh, you know, post-COVID. Uh, first of all, I was a big believer, as my colleague and great friend Barry Lorenzetti here, the founder of BFL, is we should get back to the office. So I've been coming back to the office along with BFLers for a long time. Typical day, um, get in my car, drive down to the office, uh, get a coffee, come up and, um, you know, start, uh, you know, either uh, meetings, uh, in, you know, in the office or, or generally. So a typical, there's no typical day because I'm involved with probably about a dozen different organizations now, uh, either BFL or public companies or private equity or as advisors, including, for example, with you with Alexa. So, you know, there's some days where I may talk to a lot of different people about these different things, or there may be some weeks where I'm in board meetings, you know, successively. Uh, and um, what I love is the diversity because uh, each of these organizations I'm involved in, you know, is, is, is in a different business. So I love that diversity. I'm still a big believer in the importance of driving business. One of the things I love to do, for example, here at BFL with Barry is uh, look at opportunities. If I can open the door to uh, people on the BFL team uh, to a new prospective clients or enhance relationships that we have, you know, I like to do that with uh, every organization I'm involved in. And of course, uh, with you, Gary, you know, and Alexa, um, I still love business development and you don't have to be a lawyer to do business development could be whatever you do. Uh, there's always room for improvement, for more business, for better relationships and so forth. Norm, uh, considering your experience, expertise uh, and so on, there's many organizations that want some of Norm's time and want you involved with them. How, uh, how did you prioritize? How did you select whether on the uh, business side or on the not-for-profit side uh, where you focus your attention? Well, you know, it's funny, I, when I was planning my departure from Norton Rose, I had a plan, I wanted to be on, on certain boards. But, um, you know, the issue with boards is there's a matrix and you have to fit into the matrix, which is by expertise, geography, you know, gender and so forth. And so it wasn't necessarily the next day after a conversation. Some of the conversations I had resulted a few years later and maybe asked to join boards. Um, you know, and then opportunities came up um, ad hoc. Um, if I take the example of Alexa, I had known about Alexa and uh, I think know, knowing Carolyn Coetzee, our great friend in Montreal, she referred to the fact that, you know, maybe I would be of interest to you and then uh, spoke to the chair, Ken Jesperson, who I knew from way back. So, you know, these are the way things evolve. You can have a plan and it's important to try and be disciplined about it, but it's kind of like, you know, the, the, the armies that win wars, they have a plan, but then they you know, win battles uh, by having, you know, ad hoc strategies. So, you know, that's the way, you know, it's all fallen together. On the non-for-profit side, I've been involved in so many non-for-profit organizations, you know, in Montreal. But, you know, usually I want to feel a sense of attachment that I like what they're doing. I like the organization before I get involved. So I'm, you know, fairly selective about that. You know, I get a lot of requests for that, but I'm, I'm selective about the ones that I choose to get involved in. Norm, uh, again, very, very, uh, very interesting. In fact, uh, it, sort of deciphering from your suggestion to any professionals out there, whether it's partners uh, at law firms, accounting firms, and so on, about to move on uh, to the next step in their career, or executives to have that pipeline of opportunities they are considering in advance, knowing that it won't happen overnight, and that to express that interest early on. So, 
you've heard it from Norm directly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Norm, um, the the uh, switching uh, slightly again, we're still focusing on you personally, but you have balanced things throughout your entire career, even now. So uh, you may be working harder now than you did when you were a partner. Mm -hmm. uh, but what were some of your time management skills and how did you, you you're so responsive, you're so engaged. No one would ever know that you're involved in so many organizations because you feel so dedicated to anything you're involved with. How did you manage all that? How do you stay on top of these things and still have a family and, and uh, everything else that comes with it? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. Um, I always um, uh, was focused on uh, being disciplined and being organized. And I remember early on at Ogilvy Renault, I went to my first meeting. It was actually at Domtar with Claude Fontaine, who was a mentor. And we left the meeting and it was to do an acquisition. And he said, the first thing we do is a to-do list, all the things that have to be done. Then let's do the closing agenda. Then let's do the timeline. And I learned, uh, you know, right away the importance of organization. So any time that I was ever involved uh, in any particular matter, and you don't have to be a lawyer to do it, it's so important to organize what you have to do and what the timeline to do it is. So I keep notes on everything. And I uh, used to start the day uh, at the law firm. I used to spend uh, a good 30 minutes with my EA reviewing the timetable of the day, of the week, of the month, of the quarter, etc. Every day we would have that discussion, we would renew it. Uh, so to plan methodically uh, how we would allocate our time. And when I used to travel a lot for the law firm, if I went to a particular city, I would want it organized in advance to the chagrin of some of the local people that here's what we're gonna do. I want to meet these lawyers. I want to meet these clients. And, um, you know, to me, we were wasting time if every minute of the day wasn't allocated. I used to do business development trips. I was very fortunate to travel with Brian Mulroney and Derek Burney. And um, it was our job if we were going to go to the Middle East to make sure that every single day we had worth, not just meetings, worthwhile meetings back to back. Now, sometimes it was tiring. So, you know, the, the discipline of organization and time is incredibly important. And what I'd like to do as well when, uh, when, I, when I travel is, now my kids are grown up, but include my wife and some of the travel. I can go to business meetings and then, you know, we can have an evening together and so forth. So, you know, and I, th I think it's, you know, it's, it's always a hard balancing act when you work hard to ensure that you have enough time for the family. Um, you know, I have a great wife in, in Renee and she's been very understanding of, uh, you know, some of these, uh, you know, issues and tensions. But I've always, you know, tried to have a good family life as well. Uh, I have a lot of interests, so um, I, I like to engage in these other interests that I have as well and sort of balances the work. And uh, I enjoy my work, but I enjoy my time off as well. And I enjoy our vacation times. And Norm, on the theme of interests and hobbies, what are some of Norm's interests and hobbies? Um, well, I love uh, photography, architecture, design, music, um, love traveling. So, uh, you know, those are some of them. Uh, the only thing I'm not so keen on is uh, sports, but I mentioned before I was never a great athlete. So I'm not the person that, you know, loves going to sports events, but I will go if uh, there's business development involved. I can definitely relate, Norm. Uh, now, 
everything you've accomplished is is uh, typically supported by a great team, starting from your EAs to some of the team members, whether at the law firm, uh, executive team members, and and now. What, as you've picked teams that you've worked with, what were some of the attributes you looked for in everyone that supported you? Well, actually, the first point I think is the importance to work well with the team and for the team to be interested, enthusiastic, and work hard and meet the objectives. It's important to give them authority and it's important to uh, compliment them a lot. So I always made sure that anybody on my team enjoyed what they were doing and knew that I would uh, extol their virtues if it was the law firm to other partners and management, as well as to the client. I always shared uh, the, the benefits of what we were doing. On the other hand, um, if somebody wasn't committed to what we were doing, I would um, basically remove them from the team immediately. I never want to work with anybody who's not uh, committed to, to, to what we're doing. And the same goes for hiring. It's so important when you hire that the person is really interested in joining your organization. And there's nothing that turns me off faster than um, interviews with people that are not quite sure why they're interested in joining your organization or how committed they are. Uh, you know, that's a non-starter. But whatever the organization is, if people are excited and committed about the opportunity, probably there's a good chance that it's going to work out. And then there'll be you know, willing members of teams. But I was a big believer in working with teams because I said to you, I didn't consider myself uh, necessarily the best at anything, but I always made sure that I had the best people on my teams. And um, I think working with the team well uh, means I think a lot of brainstorming, a lot of consensus building, you know, around issues that you create better value for a client, whatever the business is, by having a bunch of people discuss matters. And I used to have team meetings with our clients. Instead of uh, sort of having a, an internal meeting at the law firm, I would say at five o'clock, why don't we do this? Let's have our team get together with the general counsel and his or her team, and let's go through some of the issues. I wasn't embarrassed that we didn't have all the answers, but I thought by combining the session with our clients, we would derive you know, greater value. And everybody would be more interested as well, and it would create better relationships with our clients. Extremely invaluable insights, Norm, uh, for anyone that is building teams. And uh, I knew there would be a lot of insight there, and I'm glad I asked the question. Now, Norm, the, you know, I could be, I could be here asking you questions all day. I, mm -hmm. I had prepared so many more questions yeah. <laughs> that I think we're going to need a second episode to this, which is a good thing. The at some point in the new year, we do another episode because. There's so much for for really that I'm learning from you directly, and it's 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 what a privilege it is to do this, and uh, that I think a lot of our audience could benefit from. But what I wanted to do is thank you for your time uh, today to to do this, and uh, a lot to unpack for everyone listening because every every comment you made had a lot of experience behind it, and I think. Uh, the, the I wish I could be taking notes while doing this. So I'm going to have to listen to the recording and take the notes afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's it, it's fun for me. I've had, uh, you know, a lot of fun in my career and I'm having a lot of fun in my sort of second career. So, uh, you know, great uh, questions, Gary. And I really I enjoyed this. And uh, I enjoy also where we're going with Alexa. It's very exciting for me. And it's to your point, it's all about great teams and uh, 
having a great board of advisors who members such as yourself makes such a huge difference uh, and with a great announcement to come.